Nativity from Enlighten on Sirius XM.
in Good morning, everybody. Nice to see y'all. Everybody doing all right? Yeah, all right. Well, if you want, we'll uh, pray real quick and we'll get into it. Thank you, Father, for this day. Um, I thank you for bringing us all here this morning in your name. I pray that as we praise you, as we hear your word, that we um, just take more steps closer to you today. We pray for Leonard, all the volunteers, the kids, us. Just help us all submit to you today, God. We love you. We praise you. We're here for you. Uh, we pray for the members of our body that aren't here, that are sick and um, unable to be with us. Um, just pray for healing and bless them. And just uh, bless the season, God. There's a lot going on. Uh, we're going to hear a lot today. And all of it, we know you work. You work through us. So just uh, help us all be willing to do your work. We love you. We give this time to you. If you want, go ahead and stand up. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust the precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, it's sweet 
to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I've proved him more in Lord Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to trust him seen him. Now remember, you don't have to have little kids to come to this. 
This is fellowship for all of us. So if you have grandkids, invite them. If you want to come without any kids, come. We're going to have cookies. You can decorate your cookie. You can have cocoa, cocoa. You can make a card. But the better thing is that we all get to sit together and talk and be together. That's what Christ is calling for, for us to be together as a congregation, not just here on Sunday. We, the next thing is we're taking cookie donations for our shut-ins. Um, we're going to be going to our shut-ins in the next week or so and taking cookies over from the church to them. So if, you have, if you're good at baking, ladies, I know my ladies are good at baking, let's get some cookies in here. We'll put them out. We'll get them in little tins. And that due date is December the 19th, that Sunday. If you can get everything in, then we'll go ahead and take them out and get them to all of our shut-ins. Okay, the kids' ministry. This is heavy on my heart this morning. I've been praying about this the last week. So um, I'm going to put up a piece of paper that my daughter wrote. Ten years old. She gave this to me across the table at the restaurant and said, this is my problem at church. I said, what does it mean? And she said, well, the church is at the top, and the little kids are at the bottom, and I'm in the middle, and we don't have anybody for us. We have four 10-year-old children that need to have their own classroom, that don't want to, at this time, being 10 years old, put in with kindergartners and, and, and uh, first graders and second graders. So now we have a need. God's calling us for that need. So how are we going to represent that? How are we going to walk through that? We need to have volunteers to go down one hour a month to take a rotation to help these 10-year-old children. We only got four of them right now. We may have more that want to talk about God, that want to talk about problems in their school, things that they're having problems with, and need to have people to connect. And I know that right now God's calling someone in their heart to say, this is what I need to do. Do not be afraid to step out and take challenges that God gives us because that's how we grow and that's how we seize it. But it's, 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 a, it's, it's sad for my heart to know that we got four little kids that are saying, look, I want to know about Jesus, but I can't concentrate when the other little kids are playing and I can't understand that I want to talk about things that are going on in my life. And I don't have anybody there that will stay for the hour to help us. We don't want to let that go. We're a huge family. We can't let our kids go. We got four kids that need us. So now we need to step up and we need to find the volunteers to do that. If that comes in your heart and you know that Jesus is calling you to do that, we need to go down to the youth wing and we need to sign up for that. Like I said, it's one hour a month. We'll take a rotation. You don't have to plan anything. They already do that. All you have to do is say, hey, look, I love you, and I'm here to be with you. That's it. Simple as that. i got to put on my glasses for the next one. The congregational meeting is, um, let's see here, when is that? Um, Sunday, December 12th, following our worship service. We hope that everybody's here. They can see what's going on with our congregation, see what's going to be upcoming plans. Um, January 3rd, again, is our outreach meeting. If you want to do any outreach planning or training or just want to volunteer to help donate something, I still need you there so I know you're on the list. The other thing that's upcoming is a ladies' night at Diane Hostetter's house. It's going to be this the 15th. We're going to be wearing Christmas sweaters for all the ladies. We're just going to get together and have a nice little Christmas time and bring a covered disc. So we're going to have sign-outs next week for a covered disc. 
but you can wear your sweater, come hang out, just have a good time. Another time for fellowship. Okay. I get to hand this over to my husband. Oh, you got to see. I know. I said I was going to get. <laughs> yeah, I get a turn. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Luke 1.43. It's assumed that Mary rode on a donkey, but we forget the Bible doesn't say she did. It's assumed there was an innkeeper, but we forget it doesn't mention one anywhere. It's assumed that there were three magi, but we forget it doesn't give a number of those who showed up. It's assumed there was a star overhead when Jesus was born, but it doesn't say that either. It's assumed that Jesus was born in a stable, but all it says is that he was laid in a manger. And that could have been any number of places. Christmas comes with many assumptions, some helpful, some not so much. Our spiritual life also comes with many assumptions. And the ones that fail us are the ones we make about what we think it's supposed to look like. Who is worthy for it to happen to and what kind of outcome it's supposed to have for us? Assumptions like, you should be more than you are now to be pleasing to God. Your weaknesses are in the way of God's plan for your life. Your lack of religious fervor is a disqualifier for divine participation. You're probably not doing it right. Other spiritual people have something you don't have. Our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey in all kinds of ways. And the antidote to assumption is surprise. The surprise of Christ's incarnation is that it happened in Mary's day as it is happening every day in your lack of resources, your overcrowded lodging, your unlit night sky, your humble surroundings. It's a surprise that life can come through barren places. It's a surprise that meek nobodies partake in divine plans. It's a surprise that messengers are sent all along the hidden journey of life to let you know you are not alone. It's a surprise that you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. It's a surprise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from love. Your assumptions believe that there must be something that can. But surprise, nothing can. Read the end of Romans 8 if you don't believe it. May you thank God today with joyful surprise at how much you have assumed incorrectly. but you did so very eloquently. Thank you. Now, Rachel, you surprise us because we're, you went rogue, which doesn't, that's not a surprise. So why, why am I saying that? 
That's right, that's right. Well, before we get into the message, I would like to just uh, solicit from you guys uh, any, any praises, any prayer concerns, and certainly if you're joining us online and uh, you want to share something regarding a, a prayer need or something that um, you want to celebrate, uh, just let us know. Uh, you can um, uh, email us, text us, there's uh, stuff on the feed. Uh, we'd love to respond to that as well. Uh, so let's get started. We do want to pray for Rich Capel. Rich has got COVID, and I, I don't know if his family's got it, but we're uh, obviously concerned whenever that word comes up and people that we know get it. Uh, so keep him lifted up. Uh, also pray for uh, Paul Heim. They've called in hospice for him. He's, his kidneys are failing. So please keep Paul lifted up. And uh, Vicki Zubedi, keep her lifted up. And uh, Peg Panzod as well, who's uh, going through some treatments right now, keep her lifted up. Uh, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody as I'm going through this list of people we've been praying for. Uh, so if I have, uh, feel free to add to it. Uh, anybody have anything that you want to share or you want us to collectively uh, keep in prayer? Yeah, Debbie. Okay, yeah. All right, so one of the teammates on uh, um, the VOTE's uh, 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 mission team uh, came back for furlough and, and, and died in a car accident, so please keep uh, those guys lifted up as well. Uh, my son Christian is coming back on Tuesday, very excited about it, but I'll tell you, last time he got almost the last airplane out before they locked everything down. And things are starting to lock down over there now. Pray that he can make it. I don't even care if it's the skin of his teeth, as long as he can make it. Uh, it's it's uh, been a, quite an ordeal to get him back home. He and his dog, uh, Quavering. So uh, pray for those guys. Um, uh, really appreciate that. A anybody else? Yes. Okay, so pray for uh, your sister and Don and, and the kids, uh, or Peyton anyway, uh, uh, trying to overcome COVID. Uh, so keep that lifted up as well. Jack? Donna's son, Jerry. Uh huh. Michael. Yeah. Now, Donna's uh, son, Gary's... This is Gary's brother, Michael. They, they live upstate New York. Oh, sure, I know Michael. So Michael passed away. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, lots of uh, things that um, uh, we need to keep lifted up then. Well, if we can, let's, uh, let's take what we know. And uh, if there's anything just on your heart, just lift that up as, as I pray. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we, we come into this room because there is one name that is the focus of our worship gathering, and that is yours. You are the one who has come into our world with the sole purpose of reconnecting us back to the Father, re helping us to rejoin your family, you are the source of life, and we are no longer untethered and lost. 
and disconnected when we have you in our life. And so your name is worth celebrating every day of the week. And especially now as we lift you up, we know that it is only when you are exalted in our lives that our lives begin to take, take on the shape and the form and the direction that you've designed for us to have from the very beginning. So thank you, Lord, for saving us, for transform, and not only that, transferring us out of the dominion of darkness where we have been not only lost but lied to and living in a, in, a, in a set of assumptions that are just completely wrong and bad and dehumanizing. And you've given us, Lord Jesus, your truth as it is embodied in your life and expressed through grace. We couldn't ask for anything more when we think about what it means to know the way, to know you and then through you know what we need to know, Lord Jesus. So your name is worthy of being exalted and lifted up. And we thank you for just drawing us into this worship gathering today, the first day of the week. We prioritize you in our lives for the remaining six and a half days that are ahead of us, trusting that in the course of it, that as we cling to you and keep you central, that the things in our lives, whatever challenges we are facing, We'll, we will find a way through them and, and overcome. And so we trust who you are based on the testimony. We trust who you are based on our experiences in life through that trust. And we trust who you are because of where you are going. And Lord, we look around us and we hear voices about how the world is going in the wrong direction, and we know that you've seen that from the very beginning. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that when we trust you, our lives begin to go in the right direction. So, Father, I just pray for those who are disconnected and lost and are looking, that you would reveal yourself in a fresh way, in a surprising way. Uh, to whatever life is a recipient of this message or of our time in worship or online even hearing these words, that you, Lord Jesus, would reveal yourself. And Lord Jesus, we know your ministry was centered around showing compassion to people, especially those who are hurting and in need and diseased and broken. And so I just pray for all the people that we've mentioned this morning those going through cancer and those going through severe health problems, those who are fighting COVID, please just be with those that we've mentioned and bring that, uh, that, that touch of, to bear upon each life that needs not only your healing, but that comfort of your presence and that awareness that they are not alone. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping families that have gone through such difficult straits and and right now, we also are grateful that you are a source of comfort for missionaries who have dedicated life and livelihood and time and energy and sacrifice to you, only to have lives cut short. So please just surround the family of the teammates of, um, of, of the votes, and we just ask that you help them through this moment. We thank you, Lord, that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, and it makes us confident in this life that we no longer have to fear death, which is our greatest enemy of all, according to Paul. 
And we thank you, Lord, that we have life in you. And we want to allow your word to shape us so that life can be a transforming um, agent in our own lives. So bless your word as it's proclaimed. And I just ask that the words that I say would be reflective of your intention for us as a people today, that the word would be timely. And I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be postured towards receiving from you whatever it is that you have to say to each person in this room. And Father, we pray that we would be aligned as we not only celebrate things that you've done recently within this body, but as this body comes back to life again through a time of dormancy that we could look to the road ahead and see your people respond to your leading. Give us that heart and mind that are aligned as we pray together the disciples' prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, we are, um, of course, uh, in, in the Advent season right now, the second week. And hopefully you guys have had a chance to pick up our Advent devotional guide. If you haven't, please pick one up as you go right outside the worship center. And if you know anybody that, that needs something that they can uh, uh, connect with uh, during the Advent time that maybe doesn't, doesn't go here or doesn't go to church, uh, grab a copy, and, and they're, they're free. So uh, take a couple uh, and, and give them to friends, and hopefully it can have a positive effect on, um, on, 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 on those who are searching. So with that said, uh, we are in the second week of Advent, and if you understand uh, the reason behind the tradition, you know that it is uh, a Latin word for anticipation or expectation, and it's a re-dramatizing the birth of Christ uh, every December, and I don't know about you, but um, there are seasons where I go into Christmas and I'm like, Oh man, this is, I'm not ready for it because there's just a lot going on. And then there, there are seasons that I go into it, and I'm like, I am very excited about um, re dramatizing this experience through worship and through times devotionally. And uh, I'm, I'm really having one of those years where I'm just grateful for so much because God has been so faithful. There is a, uh, there are a couple of things, however, I'm, I don't really look forward to during Christmas any year at any given time, and that's Christmas lights. Anybody relate to that? They are the, they are the bane of my existence. I had a friend actually give me a whole tub full of Christmas lights one time, and I thought, oh, that's, uh, no, it's not, because <laughs> I thought, wait a minute. And when I opened the lid, it was just a tangled mess. And I'm like, now I know why he gave that to me. And as far as I know, it's still in our garage in a tangled mess. Because I don't have the patience or the wherewithal not only to untangle it. I have a hard enough time with extension cords, let alone things with lights attached to them. But then once you get it untangled, then what? 
you plug it in, and naturally, half, if not all of them, the bulbs rather, are dead, right? And you're like, well, I can fix this, which I've tried a number of times, and I've died on that hill a number of times, and now I will be the first to admit, just like an addict, I'm helpless, and I need help. I am powerless to overcome. It's too much. It really is. To untangle it all, to plug it in, and then to very carefully allow the lights to um, uh, be traced down and then illuminated. It's too much. Way too much. Well, God's people for 400 years were in this sort of tangled mess. And they were struggling not only before that 400-year period where the prophets finally said, we don't have anything more to say, we're done. And then that period of silence that is between the Old and the New Testament of 400 years of not hearing the voice of God in a way that everybody loudly and boldly were able to receive it, and they were used to receiving it. And in the meantime, things just continued to get more and more tangled. And lights were on and lights went off. And pretty soon, there was just a lot of darkness. There were people that were trusting God clinging to God, but they were increasingly in the minority. And then there were people who said, we have the temple, and we have the worship of God, but we've got Rome, and prior to them, the, the Greeks, and then prior to them, somebody else, and somebody else, and somebody else, with their boot on our neck, and we can't do much without getting some kind of response from them saying, you can do that or you can't do that. And it is in that moment of darkness and oppression and that feeling of, we've been forgotten. God has left us. And we haven't heard from him in a very long time. And sometimes, I think even personally, we have those moments, don't we, where we pray and we say, God, where are you? You're not answering my prayer. You're not helping me. But the interesting thing about God is he's always at work. And trust me, he always hears our prayers. The problem oftentimes is that he's not always ready to respond the way we want him to respond as we lift our needs up to him. And, and he, he says either no or yes or wait. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at Christmas lights, Christmas light wires, and waiting. I'm just pretty impatient. And the one thing I know about God is he's extremely patient. And the one thing I know about Christians are is never pray for patience, right? Anybody ever pray for patience? Then it's like, well, what are you doing, God? It's uh, all of a sudden I'm getting all kinds of signals that are making me more and more frustrated rather than making me more patient. 
but it's somehow the character of God and the nature of God to work through the mess, to patiently unwind the wire, to patiently put things in order, to patiently try to make sure that each light bulb is illuminated properly. And it just takes a long time. And in the case of the scripture we're getting ready to look at, about 400 years worth of untangling and getting things in the right place and getting things properly in order so that the moment that people have been waiting for since basically the time of Adam, that the Messiah would come into the world. God had waited patiently. He had orchestrated in the background circumstances so that things lined up in such a way that when the time was right, it was on. And I want to start this off by just showing you a graphic of two biblical words for time. We talked about this in our gathering. We're going to, not that one, yes, that one there. Okay, so if, you, if you've ever heard the word uh, chronos, you may think of it as a watch, a chronograph, something, you know, chronograph. But chronos is a word that's used a lot for time in, in the Greek version of the Bible. And what it means, basically, it's just a regular, normal pace of 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, or even the 60 seconds that you can just count on to constantly occur at the right moment in sequence to time past and time coming. You know that. Your calendars say this every year. It's predictable. But then there's another word and another idea in the Bible that oftentimes is describing a God moment when the timing is just right. And that word is kairos. And it is used to describe when uh, God is working through time and place and experiences to bring about his good purpose. And for the Bible, the, the Kairos moment in the opening days was seven days of creation. Then there was uh, 40 days of, and nights of rain for the ark. And then there was 40 years wandering in the wilderness for the Israelites. And it seems like when the time is right, God says, now we're going to do this. And have you ever had that experience where you prayed for something and God said, as you looked in hindsight at how that prayer uh, was answered, God said, wait, wait for it, wait for it. In the meantime, you're thinking, God didn't hear my prayers. God doesn't love me. What did I do wrong? What can I do to get his favor? What can I do to get his attention? When in reality, you don't have to do anything except ask. And when you do, God will go to work. Sometimes we ask for something, and God says, well, we're going to start, we're actually going to start on a problem that you have in your life. And we're going to work through that, and then when we get that sorted out, we're going to work through the relationships here that are not working the way they're supposed to. And when that happens, then we will bring your request to light. Seems like God is just working on many different parts when he answers prayer. 
Sometimes he just surprises us by showing up, and we're like, whoa, where did that come from? My heart wasn't perfectly right, or my mind wasn't where it needed to be, or I wasn't fully in tune and online, but God just showed up. Because for God, when he acts, the time is always right. The biggest issue is, well, keeping our own clock in sync with his. We like to control things, don't we? We want things to be done in such a way that when the time is right, God will come in and he will respond the way we want him to respond. And that was actually going on in Jesus' day around something called the temple complex. I'll show you a picture of the temple real quick so you can have a frame of reference. This is just a a recreation of what the temple looked like during Jesus' day, but this thing is just absolutely huge. And in the middle of it, you see sort of a structure within the courtyard where inside that wall, inside the wall, is uh, an area where you go if you're an Israelite and you can worship God uh, if you are uh, um, uh, basically in, in a certain a class of people, whether you're female or whether you're children, you, you come to a, a, one part of the temple complex. Uh, if you're just a regular Joe uh, worship gatherer from Israel, you go to another part. And then if you're like a priest and you're part of that class, you go a little bit closer. And then once a year, inside that building that is right there in the middle of that complex, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the priest would go in there and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And this particular year, there was a guy named Zechariah whose job was to go into that place and offer a sacrifice to God on the altar for all the people. And if you could imagine, literally thousands and thousands of people could fill up that temple complex and there'd still be room. It's huge. But the space for Zechariah had to go offer the sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. It's pretty small. And in Luke chapter 1, which we're going to find our way to in just a second, we discover that he goes in there and outside the people are praying and he's getting ready to do his task And at the right side of the altar, Gabriel, the angel, appears. And he has a word for him, and he tells him, prayers have been answered. It's time. And a lot of the prayers that people were having had to do with what was going on with the government, had to do with what was going on in the news, had to do with what was going on in the taxation that they were heavily burdened with had to do with their own pain and their own suffering. Pretty much the same kind of stuff (laughs) that we brought into this room today. And the angel told Zechariah, God hasn't forgotten. By the way, does anybody know what the, because names have meanings in the Bible, what the name Zechariah meant? What it, what it means? God remembers. Isn't that cool? There's a lot of rich symbolism in Scripture. 
And that certainly is one of them because in that moment, pretty much up to that time, everybody just assumed that God had forgotten. Gabriel says, it is on. The time is right. This is a Kairos moment, and it's bigger than you can ever imagine. So here's Zechariah. He's an old man. His wife bears the shame of not being able to have a child in a society that really looked down on people that didn't have children. And they long for that day when they could experience what most of us take for granted. And some of us, you know, you have them, and then you're like, why did we do that? But that's another topic for another sermon. He said, your wife, she's going to be expecting. And in sort of a biblical refrain, echoing Abraham from way back when, his response was, poppycock. I don't believe it. Now, that's interesting because Gabriel's one of those people, when he shows up, He's known in the Bible as the guy who's pretty close to the things that are going on with God. He's sort of like, you know, Jesus had sort of like the 12, but then there were the three. And Gabriel was like the three. He showed up in Daniel, and he said to Daniel, this is what's going on behind the curtain. I know because I've been there, and I've been in the middle of it. So when he introduced himself as Gabriel, which we don't read in that text, but we find out later, we discover that he should know, Zachariah should know, that Gabriel shows up, God's up to something. And Zechariah should know that when God says, even though you're old and barren, it seems impossible, that God's usually doing things in his own timing at that moment of impossibility. Seems to be when he shows up. Not when we got it all down, God, we'll, we'll just kind of add you to the mix whenever we need you. No, the way God works, and it's the way he works in churches like this, we get to a moment where we're like, we just don't know. And then all of a sudden, boom, God shows up. And we're like, we never doubted, right? <laughs> Thankfully, though, God doesn't do to us what he did to Zechariah. Because Zechariah, as a priest, should know better. The Bible does say he was a righteous man, he and his wife, righteous people, morally pure. You had to be to do what he did. But here was the problem with Zechariah. He wasn't in tune with what God was up to. And so, the, the, so he's like, give me a sign. And usually in the Bible, when, when you say give me a sign, it's actually not a good thing. And the, the angel's like, all right, you're not going to say another word until your wife has this baby. I almost think that's significant. Because he had a lot of time to think, didn't he? Now, we think about Rachel and Brent. Brent's had a lot of time to think. And so when Brent talks, you're like, not only can he talk, man, he's very articulate. And I know that Zachariah had, well, let's just assume nine months to think about who he was, what was going on, and the fact that, sure, his, right, his life was, was morally in order, but he was not in tune with the story of what was happening. He wasn't paying attention about the things that God was doing, little signs. And 
Luke is pretty good about showing how God's showing up in his story. And what he does is interesting in this particular story, the opening chapter of the book, it's he shows two lives of two people intertwined. One of them happens to be Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, who's old and in shame because she's barren. And where we pick up the scripture today is another girl who's too young to be having children, and turns out she's going to have one too. So we have some odd things happening. The old person, older person is, I don't say old person anymore because I'm one, but the older person is saying, I'm shamed because I don't have the glory of a child. Like in 1 Samuel 2 where Hannah was like, my sister's my, the, the wife of my husband, my other, other, you know, it was complicated. They had extra wives and stuff. But the one wife said to the other, you can't have a baby, I can, I'm better than you are. She couldn't have a baby. And then there's one who shouldn't be having babies, having a baby. So they got some things going on socially that are feeding into this. And they could have just taken the social approach of living in shame and humiliation of the moment. But what changed all of that was the fact that these two ladies were so in tune with God, they weren't concerned about the social aspect of it if God was in control of it. And Mary had just had a visitation right before we read this text. Same angel, same kind of conversation. Matter of fact, you know that text that you showed a minute ago Melissa, put that up at the very beginning, the white one, the white slide. The conversation, I know you can't read it that well, uh, but it basically says all the things that went on with Zachariah happened to Mary as well. Basically the same conversation, only the, the, the main points of the conversation that God's timing is here, and these are the things that will define it, notwithstanding the fact that Zachariah had his own issues and Mary responded positively. Basically saying the same thing, same thing. Two very different situations. One in the temple, the center of the socio-political, religious life of God's people, and another visitation way up north in Galilee. We'll put that screen up here real quick, and, or that on the screen. And you have Samaria and then up north in Galilee, which is farmers, including some Gentiles, and if you lived in the south, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, the riffraff, farmers, the, the underclass, they're all up there, they're nobodies up there, that was the attitude, they're nobodies, and uh, when the angel showed up, it was kind of to a nobody girl in that sense of status, recognition, honor. Yet the better message was going to her, which tells you something right out of the gate, that God isn't too impressed with all the power and the opulence and the braggadocio and the trophies and all of that stuff as much as he is about a heart that says, I'm willing to receive whatever it is that you have to tell me. And you could do that in a Kairos moment, or you could do that on a Sunday morning 
in a chronos moment. But I have something to tell you that you may not be aware of. Even though we meet at 9 o'clock, this turns into a God moment. Every Sunday, God has something to say to each of you. Trust me, I have an interesting point of view as a pastor. I talk to a lot of people, I hear a lot of things, and the refrain is very similar. From people that are in tune with him, I hear the responses of how God took the tangled mess of the last week and brought it into this moment, and he showed himself. He didn't forget. He remembers. Now, I know I've talked a lot about Zachariah, and um, by the way, Zachariah came back and he said, uh, his name's going to be John, and however he could communicate that. Um, actually, it was after his mouth opened up and he'd figured out a lot of stuff. Uh, and when the phone rang <laughs> and Zachariah could talk, it was his moment, he said his name's going to be John. And they're like, what? Anybody have any Greek friends here? I have some friends who are Greek. They're not, it's not hard to remember their names. It's either Nick or George. Pretty much that's it. I mean, there's a few other. But, you know, Alex, Alexander, um, pretty easy stuff. And his family, Zechariah and Elizabeth's family said, God name him Zick, Nick or George or Alexander because that's what we call our people, and you're going to name him John? No offense, I have lots of friends named John. But I did discover that John actually means God is gracious, or God shows mercy. And that's exactly what he did to Elizabeth when she prayed for a long time till the moment was just right for God to show up, and he did. Now, Mary was young, but I think she was pretty observant. And I think her humility speaks volumes because when she received basically the same message from Gabriel, except that her son was actually going to be the Messiah, not just the messenger telling he's coming, her response is, here I am, Lord. Whatever it is that you need to do, I'm here. And that's kind of a different response. It's the response that God is looking for from us as a church. When that moment happens where the opportunity in the community is created, such as serving the community Thanksgiving, and we're either on board with the program and we're aligned with who he is and hopefully aligned in our heart and mind regarding why we're here in the first place and what this is about, that when that moment happens, we're just ready. But if all of us are sort of disagreed about why we're here and what we're doing and then we're bringing our own ideas about what I want to do this time and God, would you do this for me? We're just not ready. But as we read the scripture, we discover that it readies our heart and our mind. Now Mary, in response to all of this, was overcome by the Holy Spirit. And she not only conceived a child, but she expressed words that echoed God's purpose so beautifully. 
So two things that we'll explore in the remaining minutes. Thank you, Rachel, for mercifully giving me a little bit more time because I know you could have really just waylaid us with your sermon, which we needed, I needed. But in Luke chapter, chapter 1, verses 39 and following, we read this about two lives that aren't like Christmas wires all bundled up, but these are two lives that are just intertwined beautifully. So in those days, Mary arose, and you guys are probably wondering, why aren't you reading it from the screen? Our screen is, it doesn't always cooperate. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in the womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She already knew the Messiah is inside her belly. And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. A little dig at her husband. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. And I'm just going to go dot, dot, dot. Because what Mary is doing right here is she's expressing, prompted by the Holy Spirit, which is what Luke does repeatedly as he tells his story, <clears throat> that nothing happens in the storyline of Luke <clears throat> without a reference to somebody being prompted by the Holy Spirit. And I would say that story doesn't end in Luke or Acts. It doesn't end with us. And there isn't anything that we do that isn't prompted by the Holy Spirit that is going to bring glory to God. And what do we do with that? Other than to say every day, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And as your spirit prompts me, help me to be faithful to whatever it is you're asking me to do. Now, most of us will probably not get that perfect. I would certainly be the first to tell you. But I've learned that when the Holy Spirit prompts, we need to be prepared to act. These guys were very surprised. Zechariah had a lot of assumptions, getting back to your reading, about the way religion was supposed to work. And when Gabriel showed up, he's like, that's not according to the script. Mary, however, was ready. She was surprised but it was a good surprise. And then when she was prompted to say what she did, getting back to the words we're reading, she says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted, okay, wait a minute. How many 12-year-olds do you know say stuff like that? Just, just kind of comes out. 
this tells you a little bit about how in tune she was with the whole story, right? And he has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. He has helped the servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Zechariah and John. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Then the scripture says, Mary hung out with Elizabeth for three months. And I'm sure that was an interesting conversation about what these babies were going to do. And then after um, Elizabeth had her baby, Mary's like, I'm out. So don't know what that means other than maybe she needed to get home because things were developing pretty good in her life as well. But apart from that... <clears throat> Luke unfolds again because this, this chapter is just like you got to tell the whole story. Zechariah, prompted by the Holy Spirit, finds his mouth open up because now he's ready and he now has a voice again. And people are listening. And he says essentially the same thing that Mary did that God has heard the prayers that he's going to do something that nobody expects and the people in power, they're going to be dethroned and the humble one is going to come and bring the kingdom to bear upon the lives of many. The salvation of God is going to be brought forth and it's going to be a new day. All of that, and you may be saying, so what? Well, the net effect is they weren't lying. And the storyline of Jesus was a fulfillment of all of that. And at just the right time, Jesus was crucified. And he died for the sins of many. And at just the right time, somewhere down the road, many of us said, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I need help. I need you, God. My life is broken. It is George Bailey's bad alternative view of life. I just need you, Lord. And a lot of us have said in our desperation, God save me. And at just the right time, we heard his voice and that became the day of our salvation. I would love post-COVID, where we are at right now in 2021, for those who haven't heard that voice from God saying, I'm here for you. I haven't forgotten. I will show mercy. I will shower my grace on you more than you ever know. I will come into the mess. I will untangle each knot in your life if you trust me with your life. That's how much I love you. That's what we read through the pages of Scripture repeatedly that that's the kind of God that we worship. But I don't know where you're at with him. And maybe you're like Zacharias, just business as usual. But maybe God's kind of shut you down a little bit. And maybe he's saying, stop talking and listen to the still small voice for a while 
and be honest about what you're hearing. For others, maybe you said, yeah, I've, I've kind of been there, God. Now I'm humbly opening myself up to you, and I'm waiting for that moment for you to do whatever it is that you need to do. But it's on your time, not mine. I just want to be ready all the time. And then there are others like Elizabeth who have lived with shame for a long time and social dislocation in its own right. And God's saying to you, I heard you, but I've saved this for this special moment because you are special in my eyes. And he's not just saying that to them. He's just using that as an illustration of what he's saying to all of us. And I don't know where you're at with him, but I do, I, and I don't know a lot of things, honestly. My wife will tell you. But to be disconnected from the, wor from, from the Lord is the worst kind of unknowing that there is. And to be connected to the Lord is the best kind of knowing that there is. Do you know him? Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we began this worship gathering lifting up your name, knowing that to trust you, to trust you no matter what, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the impossible situation is, no matter what it is in the math of our minds that we fear and doubt and don't really put our confidence in you. But if you've claimed us as your children, we know that that's just a lie from hell, that you are trustworthy, but you do things according to your time because you see a bigger picture of each of our lives than we do. And so, Father, when we pray, we know that the answer sometimes is no, and give us peace to receive it. And there are times when you say yes and give us the joy of surprise. And there are times when you say, just keep waiting. But I know, Father, every day is a day of salvation. Every day is the right time to know your son. Every day is the right day to receive him as Lord and Savior. I just pray for everyone in the room that that connection would be secure. And for those who are here with us or joining us online and it's not, help myself and those who are in tune to come alongside anyone and bring them into your presence. It's that easy. We thank you, Father, that you have made it that easy. So I pray for our church that we would be redemptive in our purpose and in our actions. And by design, people would see you when they see us. And so hear our prayer, Lord, as we do so in a spirit of humility and mercy. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you have your cups with you, feel free to collectively do the tear-offs.
part of the new ritual, I guess. Sacred ritual. Not so much the tear off part, but what's inside. You ever have a box of cereal as a kid that had a toy inside of it? How many of you just dumped the box into a bowl and got the toy out first? And how many of you waited? Oh, there's a rule follower over there. With God, it, it really doesn't matter. But what matters is what you bring to this. And that is a humble heart, a willingness to hear his voice, an attitude that seeks forgiveness and grace if you need it, but also a recognition that Jesus is the King of Kings and that he is the Lord of Lords. And he got there because he broke his body for us. And we never forget. And as we look at the, the wine inside the cup, there's not much, but there's enough to prompt us to remember that it is by his shed blood, the curse is broken, sins are forgiven, and as life is given on our behalf, life is also received on our behalf. And as we remember his blood, we know that it is the means by which we are cleansed, we are made right and holy and pure because Jesus is the one who stands in the middle of it. And so when we take of these emblems, we are actually taking him inside, all the things that he represented. And it helps us with everything that we need, whether it's forgiveness, or validation, or love. It's all there in him. Let's take together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just pray that you'd bless this loaf and this cup to the nourishment of our spirits as we trust our lives with you and we commit our thoughts and our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we close.
See you all next week.